continue on this morning. Come on in, Hobbs. Come on in, Hobbs fam. Right here in the front row. That's nice. I like that. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful for all of you. And Dan, just can you just hurry up? <laughs> I got to give that guy a hard time. I'm so glad that you're all here to worship with us at the beginning of Advent here. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors. If I haven't met you, I'd love a chance to, to meet you at some point. Um, we are excited. We love this season of Advent, and I hope that you do too, and that you can enter into it with us together. We're so grateful that we get to worship here in this school, and if you are an educator, then you know these next few weeks can be very challenging. Any teachers out there? So we're going to stop right now, and we're going to pray for all of you and all of the people, the little ones and the big ones that are going to come back into this room this week, and then we'll jump into God's Word together, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for the hospitality of Sheridan School. We thank you that we can come here and that we can worship you freely, that we can celebrate your birth. God, that we can be here and that we can know that you are Emmanuel, the with us God, the God who is here with us. But we pray, God, that your spirit would remain in this place, that your Holy Spirit would allow the kids that are coming to the school to come and to have enough peace to learn as they are looking towards the end of a, of a break for the holidays. God, we just ask that you would give energy and strength to the educators, to the parents, the faculty, and the staff and everyone here who is a part of that finish line of education that's going to be coming in these next few weeks. A busy holiday season, but then so many other things to get completed. Anybody who's feeling that way today, God, I pray that your peace would rest on them and that you would give them what they need to make it through the season. And I pray that you would just open up this space for us right now to just be a place where we can encounter you. For so many of us, there's so much in our schedules. And so I just ask, God, that you would allow us to connect with you here, that your Holy Spirit would... Uh, fall on this place, that we would sense your presence, maybe even in a new way today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so we are going to focus, as, as often is focused on during the season of Advent, on the concept of waiting well. How do we wait well? How many of you celebrated Advent, if you, if you grew up in a, in a religious environment or a church environment, how many of your faith communities celebrated Advent with candles or anything like that? All right, so we're a little over 50, maybe about 50%. Very simply, Advent is this time where we are, are looking forward to Christmas, and it's the time leading up the, the four Sundays before Christmas Eve, um, as was described in the candles. That's the overview of what Advent is, but throughout this series, we're going to describe it even, maybe even a little bit more. But our, our theme, our focus for this Advent season is, what does it look like to wait well? And the irony of me kicking off this series is very thick because I am not good at waiting. I'm terrible at waiting. I, I really think that that I'm probably not the only one. Our, our culture, mainstream North American culture, has a, a pretty bad reputation when it comes to patience and waiting. But I'm terrible. I cannot be trusted with my own little, like, Lego advent calendar. Like, you just can't even let me, like... And the fact that I still have one of those is because we didn't have those when I was a kid. And I think I just want to give anybody here permission. If you need a Lego advent calendar to make it through the waiting season, you can. You can be in your 30s or 40s. It's fine. All right? Just go for it. But I can't even be trusted with my little Star Wars Lego um, advent calendar because I just want to open all of them, all right? And we struggle with this as a culture, I think. We struggle with waiting. I don't think that's something that's news to anybody. We don't like to wait in line. You can see many different 
ways that they're trying to cut down on lines and all that kind of thing. However, I find it deeply ironic that the one day that it seems like everyone can wait in horribly long lines is Black Friday. Have you noticed this? Like people are like, I'm gonna get there and wait in line for hours. And then they brag about how long they waited. And I think it's because we have this deep issue somewhere in there with waiting. But I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this year, it was all over the news, there weren't very many lines. Did you see this? Like the, they were starting the sales too early or something and there weren't lines and guess what? People were complaining because there weren't lines. They were like upset that, that it took all of the like, the, the, all of the energy out of it or something because they didn't have to wait in this really long line. So at the very least, we are a little bit confused about what this looks like in the season. What does it mean to wait well? And so we're gonna focus on this. What does it mean to wait well? Uh, I, I am uh, just wanting to put this out there and say that I think many of us can resonate with this idea that you've waited for something for a long time. I know probably everyone in this room has. But by the time it actually arrives, it doesn't end up living up to the waiting that you put in the first place. It doesn't end up satisfying you or giving you that sense of it was worth it to wait for that thing. Maybe you have experienced this before. You waited for a long time just for something to be a letdown. I have experienced this multiple times in my life. You're waiting for something to come in the mail and it turns out it wasn't quite like the advertisement on Instagram once you actually get it, okay? Or you're waiting for a long time for uh, some sort of event, a concert or something, and you get there and it's just kind of lame. It's not what you thought it was gonna be. Or you're waiting for a vacation or maybe a long weekend like some of you had this weekend and you had all these hopes and all these expectations just for it to not quite live up to what you were hoping for. One of my friends told me this week, they waited a long time for a new job. They finally got the new job, so excited, but then like every other job, in comes the things that are not so great about the new job. Job's still great, but it doesn't quite live up to those expectations. And I think we have this all the time in relationships. Some of you, you've waited for a long time for a relationship and you end up in a relationship just to find out that everyone's normal until you get to know them, right? And then it's like, man, okay, a little bit of a letdown. And so maybe this is how some of us feel when we skip, you know, 26 days from now and Christmas has come and gone and it's like, oh man, it didn't live up to all that we hoped for. It can be often a lot more stress and mess than like peace on earth or whatever it's supposed to be. I know some of you resonate with that. And I bet some of you have even tried to lower your expectations about this season just so you don't have to be disappointed when it gets to this. So what if I told you that there's more to this Advent thing than it might seem on the surface? What if it's more than what I just described, this countdown to a celebration of Christmas? What if there's something way deeper that sometimes often goes beneath the surface? What if we embraced that we are people who have a season of Advent or a season where we talk about waiting well to remind us that we actually have lives of waiting? What if the season of Advent is just practice for the rest of life where we are, are waiting. And I, I, I realize that's kind of dark. Like we're all here, Merry Christmas. And then I'm like, our whole lives are waiting. Okay, I understand that. However, in a very real sense, are we not in Advent all of the time? As people, are we not always waiting for something? Isn't there always something that we're longing for, something that we're waiting for, something that we haven't been able to achieve yet, something that we haven't experienced yet? Results that have not come in yet, and maybe they're going to be good, maybe they're not. Stories in our lives that feel unresolved. We are people who, in the midst of all of this, are waiting. We are people of Advent. We're Advent people. And like I said, it's maybe difficult and a little bit of tension to say, oh man, it's hard enough for me to do this 25 days countdown thing. What do you mean that our lives are alive of waiting? 
In the midst of all of these things that we might name, maybe you could all name something right now. In fact, I encourage you to think about what's something that you've been waiting for. Um, I, I asked the question, what's something you've been looking forward to? But this, the question, what's something you've been waiting for, sometimes brings up a myriad of emotions. In the midst of all of this, what are we truly waiting for? Because we're not waiting for baby Jesus, right? My mom would like take the little baby Jesus out of the manger and like hide baby Jesus so that we can be like, ah, baby Jesus somehow found his way from the top of the tree into the manger, from behind the couch into the manger. But we're not waiting for baby Jesus, right? Baby Jesus has already been born. We know Jesus has, has lived and did a life of ministry and he died and came back to life. So we're not waiting for baby Jesus, right? That was the first coming of Jesus. What are we waiting for now? We're waiting for Jesus' return for the second coming of Jesus, for Jesus to come and to bring what we often call the fullness of the kingdom of God, where we hear it described in Revelation 21, where there is no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more tears and no more pain. There is no more death because we will live forever with God. This is what we're waiting for. This is something incredible, where God is going to make all the wrong things right. And I don't know about you, but at times it's hard to really hold on to that hope. And I think that's what Advent is about. People who need to pick up that hope again. Not just to wait for baby Jesus to be born again and to bring baby Jesus out of the behind the couch, but because God is going to return. Jesus is going to return. So as we celebrate Advent once a year in the season that we're in right now, we are Advent people. We are people awaiting the arrival of Jesus the second time. That's who we are. Historically, this has been the way the church has celebrated Advent. And in lots of uh, few, last few decades, maybe even the last 100 years, it's been lost in some of the ways in which we've celebrated Advent, even in churches that maybe have a more uh, focus on Advent, where there's this focus on celebration and all these good things, but we've maybe lost this reality that there is this season that helps us practice for being people who are waiting. It's really more about this future look, this future hope, and saying, can we remember that that's what we're actually waiting for? And maybe that impacts how we wait for other things on the way to that experience. So I'm not advocating, if we're saying we're people of Advent, I'm definitely not advocating for Christmas songs all year long. Not a good idea. However, all year round, we are people who are waiting. And that is very real. I think accepting that Advent, or this idea of waiting an arrival, or waiting for a coming, this is our lives, it's not merely a season. And maybe that acceptance is the only way that we can actually find meaning in the waiting and meaning in the longing. I'm gonna use the word longing. If we wanna wait well, perhaps we have to embrace longing. I've often said longing is what hope looks like on a bad day. Longing and hope are, are very connected. In a lot of ways, we can experience both hope and longing in the same minute, in the same second, maybe even the same season of our life. Longing and hope comes together. Longing is often what I think hope looks like in our lives. But perhaps acknowledging that is the best place that we can be. And that's what we're gonna do over these next few weeks, is to acknowledge that as people of Advent, we are people of hope, yet people of longing. And I have noticed as I've been studying this and as I've been thinking about this series, Advent is not for the faint of heart. Advent is not for the faint of heart, but you know what, that's okay. Because we are people of courage. We're people who take steps forward, even when we're afraid, and that's what courage is. Hope is not for the faint of heart. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, right? Hope is not for the faint of heart because hope and longing come together. And to be people who can step into that, we have to have courage and we have to know that we never wait and we never hope alone. 
that Emmanuel, the with us God, is with us. And so what is the question we're going to ask today is, what is it like to wait well with hope? Hope, the theme of this first candle. What is it like to wait well with hope? So we join a long line of people for uh, many, many, many years who have been trying to figure out how to be courageous in the midst of longing. People who have tried to figure out how to make sense of what maybe feels like a very messy experience of our lives. I know that's how I have felt. And so we join these people who don't get it all right. In fact, they get it wrong a lot, but they're trying to figure out how they can have courage in the midst of all this messiness of life. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. If you have a Bible or a phone, we're going to have it on the screen. But Isaiah is a prophet who's speaking into the lives of people who are stuck in this messy middle of waiting. People who are now waiting at that time for the first coming of Jesus, right? And, and Isaiah is speaking to people probably 600, 700 years before Jesus would be born. And so as we're reading these words in Isaiah, you'll notice throughout the book, if you were to read through it, that there's so many things that are foreshadowing or prophesying Jesus. And I feel these people, they needed to hear the words that Isaiah had, sometimes challenging words, sometimes encouraging words, but they needed to hear it because what we know was happening at the time is that they were people who were full of fear. They were people who were being threatened that they were going to be taken into captivity, and we now know that they were. They were people who felt that they had enemies to their north, to their east, and to their west, and they didn't know what that would look like. Maybe a word for how these people felt was powerless. These people felt powerless. They struggled to have hope in the midst of their lives. And I think a lot of us can resonate with that. While we might not be able to resonate with having physical enemies in this way, I think most of us can understand the feeling of being powerless in our situations. I know I can. So many of Isaiah's words are pointing directly to Jesus. Jesus is going to come as this Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the perfect king they've all been waiting for. And a long line of really not perfect kings like uh, from okay to really bad, okay? These are the kings that they've been watching and waiting for. And so there's this Messiah that's promised, this future king that's going to make all the wrong things right. And so you can imagine if you're feeling the way they feel, you so deeply want to know when is this gonna happen? What is going to happen? And so I'm gonna read this part of Isaiah 9, but here's what I want you to know. We know, looking back, and I'll, I'll point this out, that this is very clearly about Jesus. But the people at this time who were listening to Isaiah's words for the first time, I'm always saying, well, what would they be hearing? Very few of them were likely imagining a, a king that's going to come, that's going to be God on earth, incarnate. That, that's not what they would have imagined. In fact, during this specific time, they would have thought about King Ahaz, who was not doing a very good job, and how King Ahaz maybe could have a son, and that king could be better than that king. So when you hear these words, imagine the fact that they're thinking about this, this king, King Hezekiah, who's going to be the next king after King Ahaz, and, and this is what they're hoping for. Their hope is in a human king. They're not thinking about the reign of, a, of God's everlasting kingdom. They're thinking, can somebody help us now? That's what we really need, okay? So you know it's about Jesus, but as I read it, imagine if you were thinking that this was about a leader that was going to come in your lifetime to fix everything that was going to be a human, okay? So this is Isaiah 9, 11. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Well, that sounds good. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, God will honor, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, sounds familiar? Beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, 
as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for fire. We won't need these, these things anymore because there will be no more war. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Everybody's going, maybe one of, maybe one of the, the king is going to have a son. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God is the one that's going to do this. Okay, so you hear, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is going to sound like good news. Like maybe there is going to be actual peace because this new baby king, King Hezekiah, is going to be so great. Talk about a letdown if you thought that this was about Hezekiah. This guy was maybe okay most of the time, but we see later in the story of Israel that Hezekiah died while they were still in captivity. In fact, you could make a great case that things got worse after King Hezekiah became king, and it wasn't even necessarily his fault. He would be an example of, of thinking that you had arrived at what you were waiting for. Yes, finally, we have this king, the perfect king we've been waiting for, just to be completely disappointed and completely disillusioned by all of that. But now here we are, we're looking back on the story with hindsight bias, as many people would say, and we now know that this story is about Jesus. In fact, let me just walk through this, how we clearly see this. Right away there in verse 1, did you, did you notice the mention of Galilee and how that's going to be a place that is blessed? Well, in Matthew 4, when Jesus' ministry is starting out, Matthew, the writer of, of the Gospel of Matthew, actually quotes this part of Isaiah and says, this is why Jesus' ministry started in Galilee, so that it would fulfill this prophecy of Isaiah six or 700 years earlier. So we know right away that this is about Jesus. In fact, that's where he called Simon and Peter to come follow him. They were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' first miracle, changing the water into wine, happened in Galilee. And then it goes right into verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, if somebody was editing this little poem that Isaiah did, they'd say, listen, Isaiah, you're switching tenses. Did you notice this? He switched tenses. All of a sudden, Isaiah is talking about something that happened as though it's happened in the past. This would be a common way that in Hebrew poetry, you would communicate how sure you are about something that's going to happen in the future. Notice I didn't say certain, but there was a sense of assurance we are so sure that God is going to do this that we're going to write about it as though it's already happened. And perhaps you could say that the fact that they can look forward and see that a light has come in the darkness, even just knowing that that's going to happen, hearing from a prophet or a messenger from God that, that God is going to bring a perfect king, even though they thought it was sooner than later, but even that is hopeful. And so here I think Isaiah is trying to communicate that this is something we really believe can be true. So let me summarize the next few verses instead of reading them again. Uh, what's happening here is Isaiah is describing what can we hope for. What can we hope for? And this, I think the summary would be you can hope for joy. You heard rejoice in there many times. You can hope for provision that God's going to provide. That was mentioned there multiple times. You can hope for freedom. 
freedom from the oppressor, the yoke that you would wear on your back, that, a, that an ox would be pulling something heavy. You can have freedom from that. That sounds amazing. So freedom is a promise, hope, and then peace. And we know in Hebrew that word shalom. If you've ever wanted to say, oh, let's study a word in Hebrew, that's the way, one you should start with, is shalom. Because it is a deep, rich word that means all the wrong things are made right. When we're talking to the little kids, we say all the sad things become untrue. This is what shalom would feel like. So this is pretty, pretty great. Put that list up there for me, Rollin. This is a pretty great list of things to hope for. And this is what we are hearing Isaiah promise is going to come because of who Jesus is. And so if you're going to hope for this, then all you need, all you need is a king who can deliver on these promises. This is what we need. All we need is a king who can deliver on these promises because this is what we need. And so here's the good news right here in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These titles you've sung probably before in Christmas songs. And they're describing King Jesus. They're describing what this king, which we now know is Jesus, would be. This would be a king who's qualified to be king because he is a wonderful counselor and is wise beyond all counselors. He is fit to be king because he is a mighty God. This is his royal description, a mighty and strong God. He's fit to be king because he's an everlasting father. That's the relationship described between the citizens and this king. That would have been really interesting. What do you mean? We all get to be heirs of the kingdom. We're all, not only is there a king, but the king's also our dad. Mind-blowing. And then, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is the type of society that everyone under the reign of this king will experience. Shalom. This deep and lasting and important reality. This is not what happened with King Hezekiah, as we already just discussed. This was a major letdown. And so when you read in verse 7 that there's going to be no end to the reign of his justice or righteousness. Justice means wrong things being made right. Righteousness means right making. Right? They're they're very close. The words almost mean the same thing. There's going to be no end to this reign. You're going to say, well, what happened to that? King Hezekiah died without this everlasting situation of peace. But it says right there at the very end, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God will do it. God's going to be the one that does it. Can you imagine being those folks and thinking, man, I don't know if I can wait any longer. Some of you are like, yes, I know exactly what that feels like. That's how I feel right now. The way that we feel so deeply overwhelmed by the wrong things, by the sad things, is very real. And if you feel that way today, you are not alone. And I think that's how these people felt. The people of Israel were let down because Hezekiah didn't make all the wrong things right. And we have that same temptation to let Advent be about uh, something that we think is going to happen soon or maybe even just about this first coming of Jesus, celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago, which is great, and I think we should continue to do that, but there's more. There's more that we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. I'll be the first one to admit how easy I can become disillusioned when my relationship with Jesus means that somehow it doesn't keep me from experiencing pain. Or this relationship I have with God, you're the God of the universe. Why would I have to go through this deep longing? Why would I have to wait in a way that feels so difficult? Why do I have to experience confusion? Why all of this grief? These questions come up, I think, in all of us. Some of us try to run from these questions, but when we stop long enough, we know those questions are at our heels. 
This brings to the surface, I think, the need for Advent, for this idea of anticipating Christmas as a practice for being people who have lives of waiting. It's a spiritual practice for us to say, where are those spiritual muscles of waiting? How do we know how to do this? And how do we let God into that? This is what Advent is about as we wait for Jesus to come the second time. But here's an important thing. We're not in the same spot as the people that Isaiah was writing to, are we? Jesus has, has come this first time. He lived this amazing life. He conquered death through his death and resurrection and has inaugurated the kingdom of God. This is an amazing thing that has happened. Jesus' life and resurrection mean that we do experience some joy and some provision and peace and freedom. Jesus has inaugurated, or sometimes I like thinking of it as, unlocked the kingdom of God. Jesus has unlocked and the door is open and the kingdom of God is now coming in our midst. It's coming all around us. If we're paying attention, then we see it. But we are people who live in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We are, we are people who live in between this space. Some scholars, maybe you've heard this, they talk about it like the now, but the not yet. Jesus' kingdom is coming in our midst, but it's not yet fully here. We live in the now, but not yet reality of the coming kingdom that's not yet fully here. We live in the now, but not yet reality of the kingdom that's, that's coming, but it's not yet fully here. And, and God's kingdom's breaking into our daily lives. I know some of you have seen that. We do experience it. We experience those moments of provision and peace, but they're moments, aren't they? They aren't lasting. Those moments of, of provision that we didn't know where it was gonna come from, but then we have another need. Those moments of peace when we're feeling distress, but then our anxiety rises when another thing happens. Those moments where we feel God is with us, giving us a sense of forgiveness and favor, yet we're just wrapped up in the things and the sins that hold us back. This is why we know it's not fully here yet, right? This isn't it. This isn't the fully, fully reign of God. The full reign of God will be very obvious, and it's not here yet. This is where we at. We are, are people who are right smack in the middle of this tension. Tension's a good word for it, don't you think? I think this season is, is pretty clear that we're living in tension. Okay, here's my examples. Because we've got these merry family gatherings that bring up generations of conflict, <laughs> right? We have these feasts and these festivals, and on the way there, we pass people who don't have enough to eat that day. And we know there's people who are lonely, who don't have places to be. We have this idea that we're going to have these gifts and these spending sprees to make people feel special. And there's something wonderful about that. But then we're clouded in debt and obligation. Are we supposed to get you something? How much did you spend? You see the tension. We have these songs and these celebrations that so often mention words like joy. Yet so many of us feel sorrow and grief and pain in this season. This is a lot of tension that we experience. This is longing and hope held in the balance. This is what this feels like. And it's in this tension that we live as people of the in-between. We are people of the in-between. I don't know if I always like that, but I think that's our reality. We are people of the in-between. I wanna read a quote from a, a, a theologian named Fleming Rutledge in a book called Advent. And I'll put it up here on the screen, but just try to, try to wrap your head around what he is saying here. In a very real sense, Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between, because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, incognito, in the stable in Bethlehem, and his second coming in glory. Advent, this season, contains within itself 
the crucial balance of the now and the not yet that our faith requires. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires. You know, it's actually interesting, and I had never heard this before, but many scholars, as I was studying, often say that there's three Advents, all wrapped up into one. Three arrivals, three comings of God. Uh, let me tell you what they are. The first one is Jesus coming incarnate, the one that we are often celebrating in this season. The second is the Spirit of God coming in our midst every day to lead us to join God's work in the world. That's the, the second arrival that we are looking for all the time, every day. That's what I mean when I say, are we paying attention? And then the third is the second coming of Jesus in glory. That is the third advent. So there's three advents, who knew? You thought you only had one, boom, you have three. Three advents that we're celebrating all in one. So when we sing these Christmas carols and these Christmas songs, what I want you to do is to reclaim those songs and say, these songs are not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. They're about something that's happening now and something that will happen. And that is that God, Emmanuel, is with us, has come, is coming, and will come. This is what it means to be people of the in-between. To, to sing to remember Advent number one. We sing to, to look for Advent number two. And we sing to long for, or sometimes you've heard the word hastening, to say, I want to accelerate the second coming of Jesus in glory. That's what these songs are doing. They are participating by singing them out. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Then, now, and in the future, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, is coming, and will come. The passage ends here in verse 7. It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will do it. Do we really trust that, though? I think it's a good thing to pause and say, do we trust that God is the one that's going to do this? Because I feel as though, I've noticed this in so many ways, that sometimes we lose hope of this idea that God's actually the one that's going to do it. And what that means is that we've lost hope, but we've also lost trust. Trust in this God of the universe, that God will accomplish and will continue to accomplish. God has accomplished something. God is accomplishing and God will accomplish through Jesus. Instead of trusting God to do it, can I just offer some observations? Okay, my own life as well. Instead of trusting God to do it, we want to be the ones that do it at times. Like, hey, okay, God, this bringing of your kingdom thing is not happening as fast as I want. And so what we're going to do is we're going to establish some little kingdoms here that might be able to do what you were planning on doing but didn't get to yet. Okay? That's not new, right? That's exactly what we were describing happened from the Old Testament through to today. And last time I checked, I don't think that putting our faith in those little kingdoms is going very well. Another thing I think we resort to doing is putting our hope in these little glimpses of the kingdom. You heard me say that there's little glimpses. The kingdom, sometimes people use it as a, a foretaste. There's a little taste of what the future kingdom is like. You guys, we have those all the time. We experience these little glimpses of the kingdom all the time. But sometimes we put our hope in those things as though they're going to give us the fulfillment that the future kingdom is going to give. And that is where we find some tension. So let me give you an example. Some of those things that give us a glimpse of God's future kingdom are things like finding really secure and trusted relationships. That's a good thing. People who feel the, like the, maybe this week, you feel the satisfaction of a good meal. That's a foretaste of the kingdom because it's a feast, right? When you feel uh, this profound moments in your life like weddings and uh, when babies are born or experiences where you, you finally land that job you've been looking for or that experience that you have when you have a relationship you thought could never be reconciled and that it is, these are amazing things, but they're not, they pale in comparison to what the future kingdom reality is. 
And when we start to look forward to these like they are the end of the story and put up, we are going to be disillusioned and we are going to be discouraged because it's not the same. They're all good things, but they don't satisfy us. Finally, I notice when we're not trusting God to be the one that's moving in our lives, what happens is that we easily focus on things that we think we can control. Like for instance saying, I have a goal in 2020 and it's happiness, my own happiness. These kinds of goals are gonna leave us feeling frustrated because we're not gonna be satisfied. The, the personal achievement that we might be waiting for, while it's maybe worth pursuing, it's not gonna give you what you're hoping for. I know that sounds like a bummer, but I'm just saying that's what, when we know, in those moments you know you're waiting for something more. You're waiting for something more. These are all good things. What we're missing is that true satisfaction is not possible for people of the in-between. That's maybe a hard thing to, to really grasp, but I think it can help us. True and deep and lasting satisfaction is not something that's possible for people of the in-between. Do you know what I do think is possible? Knowing that God is with you in that longing and that waiting, and that can lead to a sense of contentment that you choose. I do think, I think it's not just semantics. I think contentment is saying, I know I'm not gonna be satisfied because of course I'm waiting for something bigger that God's doing. I wanna see it come now and in the future. And I'm content to be people who have a posture of waiting in that way. So if we can trust God to do this, so if, if we say, okay, those are my attempts, those things I just listed are attempts to say, I don't know if I can trust God to actually do these things. If we're gonna say, okay, I wanna trust you, God. It brings up the question, like, what do we do then, right? What do we do? And what I think we're invited to do as courageous people of the in-between is to actively embrace our identity as people of the in-between. Guys, this is gonna be countercultural, but what if we were to actively embrace as people of the in-between some of these realities? That we are people of longing and at the same time we are people of hope. That we are people at the same time of joy and of sorrow. As we, as we laugh with those who laugh and we weep with those who weep and we enter into those things in our own lives, we can be in both of those things. People of the in-between have action of joining God's work in the world, but at the same time, patience, which translated from the Greek is long-suffering. Willing to say, I'm gonna join in, but that's not gonna make the suffering go away because I wanna see God take all these wrong things and make them right. And I will not stop longing for that until it happens. We can be people of waiting and people of hastening or accelerating or praising God and saying, God, this life is amazing. We're so grateful. Like we just celebrated this last week. We're so grateful, but we want more, more of you, more wrong things made right, less tears, more joy, more healing. This is what we want. And we know we're not going to see it fully, but we want to see it as we take each step of our days and we're looking for that. We're looking for God in the midst of this. And because, as this passage said, we are God's kids. We are God's kids. And that means that God is never going to allow us to be waiting alone. Even if it doesn't feel like God is near, please trust that God is with you in the depth of your longing. That God wants this kingdom to come fully as well. And we don't understand the timing of it. I totally get that. But you, can, you better believe those people hearing from Isaiah 600 years before Jesus was born was like, what's with the timing? Here we are. And I get it. And we're right here. Are we not people right smack in this in-between with Thanksgiving as we start this? Like, it's like, be grateful and now hurry up and wait. <laughs> this is kind of where we're at. This is the season that we're in. Smack between these two holidays. But this is who we are. 
people of perpetual advent, people who know that brokenness that we see around us is not the end of the story because we know what the end of the story is. And when Jesus returns, all of the waiting will be over for good. That's the second coming that we're waiting for. That's what we are actively participating with God to say, God, we hasten the day that this comes. I'm gonna have the band come back up. And given that we're in this kind of in-between time, this between Thanksgiving and Advent as it kicks off today, I wanna just invite you into a couple minutes of reflection. We'll have a couple questions up here on the screen and then we'll introduce our time of communion. Jesus' arrival means that we have hope for joy, provision, freedom, and peace, and that so much is under those headings, right? And I want you to think in your life, when we think about the now and the not yet, what are some of those things you have experienced now? How has God brought one of these four things in your life? Question I put up there, which of these four have you recently experienced? But at the same time, don't be afraid to say, which of these four am I currently longing for in life? And that longing will not be in vain, I promise you. So let's just take a couple minutes to reflect on that before we go into our time of communion.